I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. All of us have a need to feel accepted and to belong to a society or a community or an order or a family of some sort. Such is a normal expression of being human. We by nature want to belong. There is an unhealthy trend, it seems to me, that is noted in the 90s and is predicted to increase. It's a trend toward privatization. What that means is that people increasingly want to be left alone for a number of reasons, particularly because of the stress of life and sometimes because of the nuisance of others. People want to insulate themselves from others. Such a thing was impossible, really, before our day. But modern technology makes it possible to have a certain degree of isolation. One can establish a workstation in his own home using a computer. We are told that within a few years it's going to be able to block your telephone calls so that only pre-programmed numbers will be able to get through to your telephone to reach you. Uh, Technology is going to permit us to isolate ourselves to a degree that was never even dreamed of in years past. Actually, this trend is antisocial, and it's unhealthy and unnatural. Each of us certainly needs to be an individual, and we do need to have our own space But on the other hand, God has made us to be social creatures. He has created us to need to belong. First of all, to belong to him. And then to belong to a people that belongs to him. That's the way God created us, isn't it? He created us to be his, and he created us to be a part of a race of people that would be obedient and therefore in fellowship with him, the creator. But sin's entrance changed all of that. Sin brought separation from God and from others. The church of Jesus Christ is the new created order of God. It is a community of people who belong, who belong first to God and then who belong also to each other. The Apostle addresses this next paragraph to the brethren. We request of you, brethren, adelphoi, brothers. The word literally means those who come from the same womb. It didn't refer merely to males, but it's a term that refers to all of those who are children of the same family. That's what we are. We are brethren. We are family members of the same family. We share the same life source, which is God. We share the same Lord, Jesus Christ. We share the same indwelling Spirit of God. And we share the same inheritance and destiny. A destiny that he has just reminded us of in this text when he says that God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. We share all of that in common. We are members of a body. 
a body which is a living organism. And like every other organism in God's creation, there is a basic structure and organization to this organism called the church. And there are certain principles by which it functions in order to accomplish its God-designed purpose. That is true, I I repeat, in all organisms. You can think of, of an amoeba or the complexity of the human body. All organisms have a certain basic structure and principles by which they are created to function. The Church of Jesus Christ, as a living community of believers who belong to it, functions in a healthy way when it operates as God designed it to operate. That sounds like a rather simple statement, doesn't it? And it is, really. But the sad thing is that it's too often forgotten or neglected by God's people. The church of Jesus Christ functions in a healthy way when it operates as God designed it to. I suppose that we could see the church in many different ways as to how it's basically organized. But one is this. We are a people, all of us, we are a people called to follow Jesus Christ. And we are called to follow those whom he assigns to be over us. Jesus Christ is the head of our church, but he mediates his headship through his word, through the Holy Spirit who lives in us, and through godly leaders that he places over us. Being a leader in God's church has nothing to do with one's chosen vocation. It has nothing to do with one's position in life. It has nothing to do with one's social status or with one's income. Being placed by Jesus Christ as a leader in the church has to do with God's gifts and God's calling. And according to those gifts and his calling in our lives, he places some who are leaders in the living organism, the church. God calls calls us to follow and to be servants, all of us. There are no exceptions to that. He calls all of us to follow and to be servants. He also calls some of us to lead. In the text, that is exactly what the apostle is dealing with. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. I notice first in our text the duty of God-assigned leaders. Notice that it's plural. He says, those who diligently labor. 
Undoubtedly, the thought in Paul's mind is that of elders. Early in his ministry, the apostle practiced establishing churches with elders to oversee them. And though he doesn't use that specific term here, undoubtedly that's what he has in mind. Those in the church that are called and gifted by God to be overseers or shepherds of the flock. Now he says specifically regarding this group of people that they have a function that is threefold. In the first place, they are to diligently labor. The idea there is to grow weary with exhausting toil and effort. Being a leader in God's church is not a vacation. A price has to be paid to be a leader. And it's a price that must be paid willingly. Through Peter, the Lord says to us that those who are elders are to shepherd the flock, not because they are constrained to do so, or for sordid gain, but they are to do it willingly. Why? Because it's the call of God upon their lives. Being an elder is not an honorary office. It is an office that denotes ministry and service and diligent work. It also involves having charge over the church in the Lord. The verb having charge over literally means to stand before a group or to stand over a group. The verb also implies to develop or to care for or to attend to. And it ties in beautifully with Peter's thought, 1 Peter 5 again, shepherd, tend to, provide for the flock of God. Except that Paul uses it, the, the, the same idea in a different way. He says, those who have charge over you, like a shepherd, has charge over his flock. The nature of leadership is responsibility. And with the responsibility, our Lord gives authority to preside and to direct. It is interesting to me to notice the plurality that is always inherent when elders are spoken of in the New Testament. That indicates to me that in the local church there ought to be a plurality of godly leaders. Not one elder is God's plan, but a plurality of them. And it also suggests that the authority of eldering, of having charge, belongs to the group and not to the individuals that compose it. That is a principle that we try to apply here at Grace Church Roseville. The authority that belongs to an elder is authority that belongs to the group, to the corporate body of them. When they function together, it is not authority that is to be used by an individual. They function as elders when they're together, is the point. And our Lord gives them charge over the church. 
They serve as a leadership team. I suppose that many of us have seen leadership abused. There are some elders, thank God not in our church, but I have seen elders who beat the sheep instead of lead the sheep. That is an abuse of authority that Jesus Christ gives. But make no mistake about it that elders are given the authority to have charge over the church in the Lord. Notice that sphere. It's in the Lord. This is not a matter of human presumption. It is a matter of divine appointment. It is not authoritarianism. It is not dictatorship. It is God-designed leadership. And I repeat, the church of Jesus Christ functions in a healthy way when it operates as God designed it to operate. We notice then a third aspect of the role of an elder, a leader. It is to give instruction. The word really means to put something into the mind of someone else. Those of you familiar with J. Adams' counseling methods know that his sort of counseling is called neuthetic counseling. Here's the word, neuthetic, neutheo. It means to admonish, to warn, to put something into the mind of another so as to, to correct. It means more than merely to teach. It means also to discipline. That is the thought. Discipline is neither easy to mete out, nor is it, for the most part, easy to receive. All of us can identify with that as both children and as parents, if we are parents. This kind of instruction and warning is not easy to give, it's not easy to take. But the fact is, it's important for us to learn to do that. It can create resentment. But this kind of admonition from leadership is necessary. It's as necessary in the church as a family as it is necessary in the family unit itself. Children who have no discipline, who are not warned, who grow up without rules and boundaries, are children who are at a loss. We have some of those in Sunday school. We have some children in our Sunday school who have not learned to be disciplined at home. It is very difficult for Sunday school teachers to be both parent and Sunday school teacher. I want to encourage you who are parents to be involved in disciplining your children. To establish boundaries for them. That is God's role for you in your home as much as it is the role for elders and leadership in a local church. Indeed, it's interesting that you see a parallel not only in this third point, but in the first two with parenting. Parents diligently labor. Being a parent is not an honorary title. 
When you look forward to that first child, there is tremendous excitement and enthusiasm. But it takes a few weeks and you realize after the child has come that there's a whole lot of work with this little baby. It's blessed, but it's work. Parents are to be held in very high esteem because of that work. Parents also have charge over their children. They are charged by God with nurturing them and rearing them in the admonition of the Lord. That is God's charge to parents. And so you can see that being an elder in a church is not unlike being a parent in a family. The parallelism between the responsibilities is striking. And indeed, the church is a family in a certain sense. When we gather together, we are the family of God. We are brethren. We are from the same womb. We are born by the same Spirit in the Word of God. And as we gather as a family, there are those that God has appointed to give direction and leadership and discipline when that's necessary to us as God's family. But the text also includes our duty to God-assigned leaders. Notice that the Apostle requests this. It is difficult to demand things of people. There are times when God does. There are times when the Apostle does in his writings. But here he uses a softer term. He says, we request this of you as those who are our peers. Paul is not putting himself above others and saying as an Apostle, now this is what you must do. He is seeing himself on the same level as the church in Thessalonica. And he speaks to friends and he says, We request of you, members of the family of God, that you respond to the leaders God has placed over you in this way. In the first place, verse 12, by appreciating them. It means more than just to know them by name. It means to appreciate Dr. Hebert, in his commentary on this text, says, The members seemingly had not appreciated nor rightly understood the nature and function of their leaders. The verb here clearly carries the further thought that they must appreciate these leaders as they recognize their true value. Do you realize the value of those whom God has given us as a church, as leaders? Believe me, I do. And I never fail to come away from one of our elders' meetings without lifting my heart to God and saying, God, I thank you for the quality of leaders that you have given us in this church. I hear some of the war stories of other pastors, and that even doubles my gratitude. But I want us to expand the idea of leadership beyond elders for a moment and say that we need to value all of those in our church who are in some role of standing up in front 
of others and presiding. It may be a Sunday school teacher. It may be a small church pastor or leader. It may be someone who's leading a discipleship group. It may be a person who has committed himself to the music ministry of the church. It may be a leader in this, among the students. It may be someone who is responsible for organizing in the nursery. There are lots of ways in our church in which we have leaders. People who are responsible for others. All of us need to give thanks to God for those who respond to that sort of role in our church. Because if it weren't for the many who participate in leadership, we could not function in a healthy way. And so I exhort all of us to appreciate and value those whom God has given us to lead. We are secondly commanded and requested to esteem them very highly. It's kind of an extension of the first idea. It means to hold them in regard without any boundaries to it. Let there be no reservations. And yet so often there's a natural tendency in our part to have reservations. We hear leadership say something and our human nature is to be immediately suspicious or distrustful. And I recognize that all of us are a composite of where we've been. And there are people who come into our church out of situations where perhaps leadership has been abusive. And so when something happens in our church, or leaders make some decision in our church, they evaluate that through the grid of their past. We have to be patient with that and understand that. But the Word of God tells us that we are to esteem them very highly, to hold them in regard without reservation. And we're to do that with a spirit of affection, in love, with a graciousness, we are to be submissive and cooperative as we esteem them highly because, he says, of their work. Because of their work. It may not be that we esteem them highly because of their personality, because we may not all appreciate the personality of all the leaders, but we are to esteem them highly because of their work and their value to the body of Jesus Christ and their value to the Lord who has placed them in the body with that responsibility. How important that we nurture this attitude in our lives. I think it's important for us to be reminded, though we've heard it before, that our attitude toward the authority that God places in our lives exactly reflects our attitude toward God's authority in our lives. Now whether that be in the realm of the government, because they are leaders also that God has placed, or be in the realm of the family or the realm of the church, we are to appreciate and esteem them highly and recognize that our response to them reflects our response to God's lordship in us. And finally, he says, we are to live in peace with one another. Peace is a product of the Holy Spirit, but we are responsible to maintain it. 
No church can grow spiritually without its members being at peace among themselves. This is equally binding upon leaders and upon everyone. We are to live in peace. That is not always easy. It is not always easy because all of us still have sin that dwells within us. And sin is the root of war. According to James chapter 4, it's the lusts in our hearts that produce wars and divisions. But we are nonetheless to live in peace. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I think we realize that a person whose bodily members are at war and which are fighting against one another is a person who is sick and may be in danger of dying. And so it is in a church. And so it is in a church. Live in peace with one another. All of us have need to belong. That's part of being human. We have need to belong to a community of something or some people. A community that has no order to it is a community in anarchy. And anarchy is not a word that is ever to describe the body of Jesus Christ. And so let us seek to live according to the order that he has ordained in his word. Belonging to God's forever family is an eternal relationship. We belong to God and to one another. We join God's forever family as an act of faith in Jesus Christ. That act of faith is a definite commitment on our part to him. It involves the will. There is a choice that is involved. There is a change that is involved. It means that we trust him alone for salvation. And we give him all that we are. It may be that you don't belong to God. And if you don't belong to God, you, you, you can't belong to his family. And so your need today is to belong to him and to join that family by faith in Christ. But there's one more thing I want to say before I bring this message to a conclusion. That is, it is God's obvious design, it seems to me, for us to belong, not only to God's forever family, but to a local church. That's the whole context of this book that Paul has written. It's to those who belong to the church in Thessalonica. Belonging to a local church means joining. It means committing. It means submitting. It means sharing life's opportunities. It means all of that. My question is, do you belong? Where do you belong? That is not a casual question that we can shirk. It is a significant question that is involved with the very warp and woof of God's plan and design for the order of the body. While the direction of our world is toward individual autonomy, toward privatism, toward independence, let us not allow that spirit of the world to invade our thinking, that we can remain autonomous from the church, 
that we can be private and independent of it. For all of that is contrary to God's plan. It's even against the very nature of being human. To be human is to belong. And God wants you to belong. And if it is a fact that you do not belong to a local church anywhere, then it's time to do that as a part of God's plan for you, a part of God's order for the body. It may not be Grace Church. I am not suggesting that it must be. It may be. And if that is God's plan, get with it and do it. If God's plan is somewhere else, then do it there. The point is, God's plan is to belong, to join, to be a part. We need that. We need that as humans, and we need it as the children of God. Let's pray. Do you belong to God's family, my friend? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? If not, would you today give your heart to him in faith? And if you are a believer in Christ and you're part of God's forever family, do you belong to a local church where you're participating, where you've joined, where you're sharing? That's God's plan. That's not just this preacher's idea. It's God's plan. And so I encourage you today to seek God's mind and God's will and God's direction regarding where he wants you to belong. Father, I pray for Jesus' sake that this body may function in a healthy way and that each of us as members of the body will be living under the lordship of Jesus Christ and living in such a way that we are participating and healthy members of the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like for us to sing just a verse of number 422 before we go our way. It's the third verse I'd like for us to sing since we only have time to sing one. So would you sing, please, with me? 422, verse 3. Let's stand as we sing. Take time to be holy. Let him be your guide. And run not before him, whatever betide, in joy or in sorrow, still follow the Lord, and looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. This thought in closing. A Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks, a heart through which Christ loves, a voice through which Christ speaks, and a hand through which Christ helps. 
May we this week live as Christians. God bless you.